Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. So we're going to start the message off with a little quiz. How long has Mother's Day been a national holiday in the United States? Somebody shout out a number. 60 years, 50 years, 1910. The answer is 101 years. Woodrow Wilson was the president, and he decided that it should be a national holiday to honor mothers. And so that means unless you're 102 years old, every time you've uh, entered the second Sunday of May, it's been Mother's Day in this country. And here at New Life, uh, some of you would know this if you've been coming more than a year, uh, Mother's Day is the only day that I officially wear a suit. Uh, every year. And uh, I do that to honor my mother, who has been in heaven for 26 years now, 26 Mother's Days, and my wife, Nancy. And last year, after Mother's Day, a middle schooler walked up to me and said, Pastor Chris, I have a question for you. If you wear a suit on Mother's Day to honor your mother and your wife, then why don't you wear a suit on Easter to honor Jesus, since he died and rose again from the dead? I thought, wow, that's a really good question. But I had a really good answer right off the top of my head. And here's the really good answer. And that is that Easter weekend is the weekend of the year when we here at New Life have more guests and actually more people than any other weekend of the year. And when somebody walks into New Life for the very first time on Easter Day, I want them to understand that no matter whether they can afford to wear a suit or a dress or not, that Jesus loves them and that Jesus welcomes them and that we welcome them. So that's why... We don't dress up around here because there are folks who come to this church who can't afford to wear a suit or a a really nice uh, outfit, if you will. So that's the reason, because when we started New Life back in 2001, our mission was to share the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. And we decided from day one that we would intentionally reach lost people, that is people who don't yet know Jesus, or another group of people, people who had given up on church. Because the one thing that has happened every single weekend since we started New Life is nobody has ever come here for the first time and left and said, this is just like every other worship service I've ever been to in my life. In fact, just this morning, just this morning, after the first worship gathering, a young man walked out and uh, he said, you know, he had been brought up in a different tradition and he said he always hated church. And he said, this is the first time I ever liked church. It was amazing. Now, you may disagree with that. That's okay. You may think that it would be better if I dressed in a suit every week. In fact, about you know, 80% of you told me I was handsome today. I happen to think I'm handsome the rest of the years, too. But anyway, you know, I, I, don't, really, I don't really need your affirmation. I have a, you know, a, a strong sense of myself. Uh, you know, Paul says in the book of Romans, have a sane estimate of your own worth. So um, I have that. I, I really don't need to dress up so that you'll tell me I look good. Um, And more importantly, more importantly, there are 350,000 churches in America, and there are 300 million people in the United States, which means there ought to be 857 people in every church in America. If you know the statistic, the average church in America has 75 people. That means we either need a lot more churches, or we need people (laughs) to, when they come to church, say, wow, that was different in a good kind of way than I was expecting. 
And, uh, you know, I, I used to wear a robe when I preached. Then I used to wear a suit when I preached. And now people are just glad I wear something when I preach. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and actually, this is, uh, this is just a real quick story. But when I was wearing a robe when I preached, one day, underneath my robe, I wore a plaid shirt. Ooh. You know, and this lady went home and had lunch. And then she and her sister were watching the Steelers play. And this lady leaned over and she said, did you see that the pastor had a plaid shirt? And she died in the middle of the sentence. This is honest to God truth. She died in the middle of the sentence. And her sister told me that. You know, the last thing she ever said was that you were wearing a plaid shirt under your robe. Don't complain about what I wear. <laughs> okay. Most laughter we've had in church in a long time. That feels good, doesn't it? You know what? It says a cheery heart is like a medicine, it says in the book of Proverbs. And that's sort of a segue into what we're going to talk. We're going to go to the book of Proverbs today. It's Mother's Day. And the thing is, Mother's Day is not a biblical holiday. If you read from cover to cover, you will never see that we should celebrate Mother's Day or Father's Day or Christmas or Easter, for that matter. There are no holidays except Jewish ones in the Bible. And, and there are churches who don't celebrate any holidays because they say it's not biblical. Well, that's okay, I guess. But we celebrate Mother's Day because everybody in the United States knows that this is Mother's Day. And the thing about Mother's Day, and since we're seeking to reach people that don't usually go to church or that may be lost, and God wants us to reach those people first, and actually, I would say this, if you're here today and, uh, and you're, you already know Jesus, praise God for that, number one. But remember that lost people matter to God more than found people. It tells us that in the Bible because Jesus said that if one lost sheep ran away and there were 99 that were found already, that, that the, sheep, the good shepherd would leave the ones that are already there and would go out and look for the lost one. That's how much he cares. And then it says when he finds it and it comes back, that there's more rejoicing from the angels in heaven than over the 99 that didn't need you know, anything because they already know Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this is a good place for you to be. And if you're here today and you do know Jesus, this is a good place for you to be. Because our goal here at New Life is to help you care so much about other people that you'll put aside your personal preferences and you'll care about those lost ones. So we celebrate Mother's Day because it's a national holiday in America. And I understand something else about Mother's Day. It's a very hard day for many people. It's a hard day for me because my mom's not here. She hasn't been here for 26 Mother's Days. And so I always think on Mother's Day, boy, it'd be really nice to have my mom here. And, uh, and for you, that might be true also. Or it's a hard day for some because your, your mom hasn't really been a mom. Maybe hasn't even been there for you. Maybe you don't even know who your mom is. Maybe if you do have a mom, she's been, you know, a jerk. And so Mother's Day is hard in that regard. And then some people, uh, it's a hard day because you want to be a mother, but you can't. You haven't been able to have a child. And Nancy and I know what, knows what that's like because for the first 10 years of our marriage, we weren't able to have children. And so every Mother's Day, you know, everybody's happy to have their little kid and we didn't have one. You know, so we know what that's like. And, and some of you, it's a sad day because you um, have had children, but they died or else they're just, they've turned away and, and they're just not going the way you want them to go or the way you know God wants them to go. And Nancy and I know what that's like too because we lost our first baby through a miscarriage and right now both of our children are not really following God. So why all of this, you know? Aren't you glad you came to church? You were laughing a minute ago and now it's, whoa, you know? Well, here is the reason I share all of that because we're real around here and we know that life isn't always wonderful just because you go to church. 
And the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, wrote a letter to a church in Rome. And, and in that letter, there's a verse, uh, in verse 28 of chapter 8, Romans 8, 28. And he said this, in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Those words are true. Mostly when life is going good, we say, oh, God works for good in my life because it's going good. But the truth is, if life is terrible right now, if life isn't the way you want it to be, if you're not getting anything you want in life, God is still good. And he will work for your good if you love him and are called according to his purpose. And, and in the moment, no matter how bad it is, there is a God who loves you more than anything. So much so that he gave his only son that we could have a life that's eternal. And so right now we're going to focus on Mother's Day and really not so much on mothers as on wives and godly women. And that's going to be the focus this morning. We're going to turn to the book of Proverbs. And, and if you know the book of Proverbs, it was written by King Solomon, who was the son of King David. David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. And King Solomon wrote a book of wise sayings, basically like that little one I said that, you know, a cheerful heart's good medicine. And like, uh, what, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And there's all these pithy, wise sayings that will change your life if you live by them. But in Proverbs 31, he talks about something different. And for a long time, much longer than pretty much anything else in the book of Proverbs. And he talks about a godly woman. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, in fact, the, the message title today is Ode to a Noble Wife. Now, ode is a sort of an old-fashioned word. We don't use it very much these days. And when I looked it up, I found out that an ode is a poem that is sung. <laughs> the reason I'm laughing is because I'm going to sing this message to you right now. No, I'm not. Because if I did, we wouldn't have anybody back next week. Uh, but what I'm, I, I found out there's another definition of ode, and this is, the, this is one I'm going with. Okay, it's from dictionary.com, and it says, A lyric poem typically of elaborate or irregular metrical form and expressive of, of exalted or enthusiastic emotion. And that's what we're talking about today. Solomon was pretty enthusiastic about this idea of a virtuous or noble wife. And uh, this book was written 3,000 years ago, and you might be wondering, if somebody who wrote something 3,000 years ago and talked about a noble woman, would that translate into 2015? Would, would what was a noble woman then, a noble wife then, be a noble woman or wife now? And that's really what we're going to look at in today's take-home point. And for those of you who come on a regular basis, you know that we have one point that we seek to make every week. And to go out and live it in the, in the week ahead. And here it is. The take home point this week is. Women who live as God calls them to live are needed desperately in our world today. So women who live as God call them to live are needed desperately in our world today. The reason for that is in, in America today, we're not even sure that there's a difference between men and women. In the last 50 years, things have changed so much that in this culture in which we live, there's not even a sense where, where being a man or being a woman matters. And the thing that you need to understand, especially if you're here for the first time or if you're coming in off the street and you don't even know for sure that there's a God, what you need to understand is the God that we serve, the God who created the heavens and the earth and all of the universe, at the end of creation, he created, and actually he created a planet we call Earth, and then he created all the animals and the fish and the birds and all that. And then God said, let us make man in our own image. And God did. And it says, God created them, male and female, he created them. And what he said about that is, 
that this man and this woman should come together and live as one. In fact, that, that oneness was to be a physical oneness, a spiritual oneness, and an emotional oneness. That's what God said. And that was established in the fabric of creation before, before there was sin. So that means it's the way it's supposed to be. And as we look at the scripture today, what we're going to see is this is not necessarily the way it is. But the ideal is still there. The ideal of a godly woman and a godly man coming together as a family. And then eventually sometimes there are children and sometimes there aren't. And sometimes we stay single throughout our lives and that can be God's purpose for us. But the point that we're going to make today is if you're married, then that means that if you're a woman, you're to be a godly woman, a godly wife. And if you're not married and you're a woman, then you should be a godly woman. And if you're a man today, you can't take a nap. Because, because in order to have godly women, there need to be men who are encouraging them, whether it's our mothers or our wives. Now, I know not every man in this room or boy in this room has a wife, but everyone in this room had a mother. Any guys in the room that didn't have a mother? I mean, weren't obviously we all did, right? We all had a mother. That's the way it works. Because since God created the first two, all the rest of us have come from our mothers. All of us have. So before we turn to Proverbs 31, let's pray together and ask God to uh, empower us to understand his word. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for creating us as men and women, for establishing differences between us that draw us to you and each other. As we read your word right now, teach us by your Holy Spirit what it means to live out our lives faithfully as men and women of God, saved from sin by your son Jesus and his blood shed on the cross. Empower us not only to receive your truth, but to live it. In particular, we pray for every daughter, every woman, every wife, every mother here, that each may live according to your ways, may live in godliness to your glory and honor. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible or your Bible app, would you open it right now to Proverbs 31? If you don't, it'll be on the screen. And what we're going to do, since it is a poem, it really is, we're going to take it sort of a line at a time and we're going to talk about what it means, according to King Solomon, to be a godly wife. So, uh, the first thing says, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. And, and the NIV reads, a wife of noble character who can find. That's where I got the title, Ode to a Noble Wife. You see, the, the title tells us that however we translate it, a, a, a woman who is virtuous, a woman who is noble, a godly woman or wife is rare. In, in, in Solomon's day, such women were rare. And, and the question is, would they still be rare today? And, and I, I don't know for sure the answer, but we do know this. Solomon was maybe not the best expert on marriage. He had 600 wives, several hundred concubines. I'm guessing he doesn't, didn't know all their names. But, but we do know that maybe because he was married to 600 women and 300 concubines, that he might have figured out what it would be like if he did have that perfect wife. And under the influence of the Spirit of God in his life, he told us what it was like. And, and he said that they would be rare. And, um, and in our day, this is what it would still be. To be a, a noble wife. So, it says her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. So, the first thing about a noble wife is she's trustable. 
That's not a word. I made it up. Trustability, it's not there in the dictionary, but it's true. Trustability means I trust you. I have such a wife. I've been married to her for 36 years, and the truth is I don't know where she is right now. I don't think she's in here, but wherever she is, I trust that what she's doing is good. And when I'm uh, not in her presence, which is often during the day, I don't wonder, what is she doing right now? I know that I can trust her. And in, the truth of the matter is, all relationships, all relationships, whether between God and us or between each other, all relationships come down to this in life, trust and control. Whoever we trust, we don't try to control. Whoever we don't trust, we do try to control. Now, a godly wife, you can trust her. And so you don't have to worry during the day what's going on. And that it says that will do what? It will greatly enrich his life. No kidding, because you can focus on what you need to focus on when you have such a wife. It says she brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. And notice it is a singular. This is one wife, one husband. This is the way it's supposed to be, according to God in the beginning, according to Solomon, even though he didn't practice it. You know, we don't always practice what we preach, but we know the truth when we hear it. And this is the truth. And so the next thing that we're going to hear I want you to listen very carefully because, you know, there are a lot of people outside the church and what they think the church thinks about marriage is that it's the way it was back in the 1950s. Back in the 1950s in America, you know, when the women stayed home and cooked the meals and, you know, washed the clothes and took care of the kids and that that's the way the Bible teaches. There's nothing farther from the truth than that. And the reason I know that is because of what it says next. It says, she finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She's like a merchant ship bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plans the day's work for her servants' girls. She goes to inspect the field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. And then what does she do after lunch? I mean, wow, this is pretty incredible. This woman... You know, and we're going to read later on that she's up until, you know, she burns her lamp late into the night and she does all this stuff. And it's like, does the lady ever sleep? And we wonder, could this be a real person or is this just the ideal that there's never going to be somebody like that? Well, obviously, this is a real person. Solomon has in mind and the goal for us as we understand it and listen to it is whose model of the ideal woman do we want? And, and I actually want this on the screen. Whose model of a noble or ideal woman do you want to follow as Jesus' followers? And I know some of you may not be Jesus' followers. But if you're a woman in this room today, whose model of the ideal woman do you want to follow? The 1950s model? The model of, Sol of, of Solomon in Proverbs 31? How about the model that says you should be the corporate mogul? How about the model that says you should be the sexy vixen? How about the model that says you should be the stay-at-home mom who takes care of the kids and that's it? How about you should be it all? Because that's the other model that's out there. You should be able to do everything, right? That's what, that's what the world's saying. Well, whose model? This is, this is the thing. We're hearing the model from God's word for the ideal wife or woman or mother. And it says next... She's energetic and strong. She's a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamps burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread. Her fingers twisting fiber. And what I would say, energetic, strong, hardworking, all of those things, for a lot of men, that's scary in this culture. You know why? Because for the last 50 or 60 years, we've been told that we aren't anything special. We're not different. We're all the same. And that women should do what we should do. And we should like it. And the truth of the matter is, women should do what we should do. 
Because right here you see, what should a woman do? Well, she should get up before breakfast and make breakfast. She should put the servants' plans and schedule together for the day. She should go out and buy a field, you know, and plant the vineyard. Obviously, she wouldn't plant the vineyard. The workers would plant the vineyard. She probably didn't make breakfast. She probably had a servant make the breakfast. You see, because she's organized and she schedules everything. And this is the way it would be in the ideal world. In fact, in fact, one of my favorite quotes from a guy who's long dead. It's not in the Bible, but his name is G.K. Chesterton said this. It says, the Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. You see, when it comes to encouraging women and wives to be the kind of women that King Solomon portrays here in Proverbs 31, many men are afraid because when we experience such women, they want to take over everything. They don't understand that the goal is to partner. Men and women have roles to play in the world. God created it that way. But it isn't, Mom, you stay home and take care of the kids, and Dad, you go to work. That's not what it says here. What it says is there's this partnership. And that's the thing. You know, I, have you ever heard this saying, behind every successful man, there, there's a good woman? It's not true. Beside every successful man that I know. Beside, not behind. And, and then you say, well, wait, is every successful man married? No, there's successful men who aren't. There's successful women who aren't. But when people are married, it's a partnership. It's not a woman stands behind. This is not a woman stands behind kind of a culture. Well, it was, right? That's the culture they had 3,000 years ago. Women weren't even considered to be people, hardly. They were almost property. And yet Solomon in that culture said the ideal is God's ideal. And so in today, when we have this thing that we're all equal and nobody's anything, we're sort of neutered. The truth is there are men and women. And these women who do this kind of thing, they're rare. They're noble. They're, they're more valuable than anything that we ever could buy. Because they understand that their value is not just to their husband, not just to their children, but to their community, to their nation, and to their world. This is a big picture kind of a thing we're talking about here today. In fact, I can prove it by the next statement. It says, she extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She looks in her community and she says, whoa, these people are having a hard time. That shouldn't be the case. I'm going to reach out my hands. Notice it's, see how tangible it is? I'm going to reach out my hands. I'm going to reach out my arms. Because women are nurturing by nature. That's how God created women to be. And, and so when a poor person comes by, the woman says, I, I need to do something about that. And, and that's a very unselfish attitude. Remember what we talked about last week if you were here? We closed out our Amazing Grace series and we said that we live in a selfie world, right? That everybody's taking pictures of ourselves. And yet God has freed us from that selfishness so that we can have his grace frees us so that we can share his truth and his love with others. And, and, and that's a selfless world if we all did that. And, and a thousand years before Jesus walked on the earth, King Solomon said, this woman is selfless. She cares about her family. She cares about her community. She cares about poor people. And then it says, she has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspread. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. You see, the influence that this woman has starts at home. It does. And she lived in a day when you couldn't go into your living room or wherever your thermostat is on a cold winter day and turn the thermostat up. So she made bedspreads so that her children and her family would be warm. And she made heavy clothes so that they would be warm. And she wore a nice dress or, or I don't know, it says purple linen, probably a dress, I would guess, you know. And, and, and the truth of the matter is she probably didn't make any of that stuff. Her servants probably did. She would had them do that stuff. 
Because she, I mean, really? Could she really do all that? She couldn't do everything. And then it says her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. Because the husband trusts his wife, he can focus on the community. You know, in our day, he'd be running for county commissioner. He'd be running for state senator. He'd be running, who knows what he might be doing. You know, and the thing is, in those days, women couldn't do that. But in our day, they could. So maybe the woman would be running for county commissioner. And you're saying, Pastor Chris, you, 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 this isn't biblical. Yeah, it's exactly biblical. And, and that's the thing that, you know, the, the church ha- has had this idea for, for a couple thousand years that's wrong about women. And if we had fostered the truth about women for the last 3,000 years, then the feminist movement would never have had to happen. And a lot of things that are going on in our world wouldn't be the way they are. But it hasn't. So here's the ideal. And it says this. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. Now she's a businesswoman. And again, you're saying, how does one person do all this? Two words. No television. No Facebook. I guess that's four words. No television, no Facebook. So what did you do with your time? Oh, well, I think I'll start a business. Oh, well, I think I'll, you know, take care of my family. Oh, well, I think I'll organize all the service. Oh, well, I think I'll go out and plant a vineyard. Imagine how many hours every day in America would be freed up with no television and no Facebook. Now, I'm not saying let's go back to the Stone Age, but I am saying that our priorities, if they're focused on God, may be different. And this lady's priorities are focused on God. And you say, Chris, there hasn't been one word about God yet. No, there hasn't. But that's the key to all of this. That's where we're building. In fact, uh, it says here, this woman is clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. She laughs without fear of the future. How many of you sitting here today, don't raise your hands, are laughing with no fear of the future? Man, I hear so many people that are scared today. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Neither do I. I'm not scared. But a lot of people are. You see, this woman doesn't care who's king. This woman doesn't care what the market does. Because she's focused on God. And I know it doesn't say that yet, but she is. And she's focused on what she can do. And what she can do is a lot, isn't it? What she can do is a tremendous amount. She hasn't just thrown up her hands and say, oh my, I hope Jesus comes back. Because I'm tired of living in this world. She doesn't say that. She looks around and says, wow, there's a lot of work to do. I better get at it. And then it says this. Actually, of all the words in this whole thing, this is one of my favorite statements. It says, when she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instruction with kindness. When I turn on the news these days, which I don't do that much because I'd rather read it because I don't want to hear the yelling. You see, when people, even wise people, make their statements on television today, they think they have to yell so somebody will hear them. This lady knew better. What she knew was, if you have words of wisdom, you don't have to yell. You don't have to scream when your point is strong. And in fact, usually if somebody's screaming, it's probably a weak point. Weak point. Yell louder. This woman speaks with kindness. And having been a person who hasn't always spoken with kindness, I appreciate that. I appreciate it a great deal. And I'm encouraged to hear that that's one of the traits of a noble wife, is wise words. Spoken with kindness. And then it's sort of building to a crescendo here. Building to the climax here. It says, she carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. What does that mean? She knows what's going on. I remember when when I was growing up, my mother always knew what I was doing. It seemed like she had eyes in the back of her head. You know, she'd say, Chris, quit it. Huh? 
How, how do you know I was punching? Uh, I'm, I mean, how did, what did you, and she all, I mean, Chris, I'm, I'm not doing it. Okay. I mean, she always knew. And if you're diligent, you know what's going on. And diligent means not lazy, right? The ult- but here's the ultimate reward. We're building to the ultimate reward as we look at what this noble wife can look forward to. It says this, that her, those who know her and, and should love her the most speak best of her. It says this, her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, he says, but you surpass them all. You see... Some people seek the acclamation of the world. Some people seek the acclamation of their business or of their, their group of friends. But, the, but true affirmation and true acclamation for the noble and virtuous woman comes from her children and her, her husband. Now, mothers, I want to give you a little secret. If your children are under the age of five, you're probably not getting much of that yet. If they're beha- between the ages of like 10 and 20, same thing. Not getting much of that right now. But this year, you know, Nancy got a, bir- a Mother's Day card yesterday from our older daughter, and it said, you're a great mom. She's 26, so you might be waiting for a while, mom. <laughs> but if you consistently live this virtuous life that Solomon sets forth for you women, whether you're married or not, one day somebody's going to notice. And-, and when it's those closest to you, that's when it's going to feel the best. Because when other people tell you you did a good job, that feels good. But when somebody who sees you day in, day out, 24-7, says, you're doing a great job, that matters. And, and, and when the husband says there are many virtuous and capable women in the world, th- that means the husband has seen other women. But he doesn't care. Because he knows that this one who's married to him, who puts up with him, you know, has made an incredible difference in his life. More than any other. And then Solomon wraps up the poem by giving us the secret of becoming such women. He says this, Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. Charm is deceptive. You know what the word deceptive means? It seems true, but it's a, it's a lie. And our world is all about charm, isn't it? Let's just charm the people because if we have charm then maybe they'll, they won't see what's really underneath. And it says beauty is what? It doesn't last. It's fleeting. It, it, it goes away. Well, outer beauty does, but inner beauty never does. Be- inner beauty grows more and more and more throughout one's life. And, and, and then it says this, a woman who fears the Lord. There it is. A woman who fears the Lord. What does that mean? Fear means fear. It means a being afraid of. You ought to be afraid of God. He can you know, send you to heaven or hell. That's what Jesus said. But fear also means reverence. It means respect. It means awe. It means wonder. And so this woman understands there's work to do. There's a lot of work to do. There's children to be fed. There's husbands to be loved. There's, you know, businesses to buy. There's all this stuff. But before there's any of that, there's God. God comes first. And and the woman who puts God first, it says right here, is greatly to be praised. And that's the rare person, woman or man. The rare person is the one who puts God first. And and, and the thing that I realized, because I've been around for 50, almost eight years, and because I've been married for 36 of them, is my life has been so blessed because I have this kind of a wife. If not for her, A, I don't know if I'd be alive today. And you go, well, that's a little extreme. No, it's not. I'm I'm sort of a risk-taking personality. I do stupid things, you know, left to my own devices. And she's been there to sort of curb that. 
over the years. Left to my own devices, I guarantee you, you all wouldn't be sitting in this room listening to me talk today. She has done an amazing and incredible work. Not just for me, but, but for me. For her children, even though they're not really following that way right now. And, and the thing is, first and foremost, she's put God first. And, and that's where it starts. So now, what, what I'm going to conclude with today is a commitment that's for men and a commitment that's for women. Usually the commitment's for everybody. And for those of you who are new, we have a commitment, something to do this week. And it says this, men say this, I will honor my mother, my wife, intentionally this week. And women, your commitment is, I will be a woman of noble character in the power of the Holy Spirit this week. Now, let me, let me say something. I don't live with my head in a hole. I know what's going on in the world. And after just talking about what I talked about for this past 25 minutes or so, I know that 40% of the children in America don't have a father. 40% of the children in America will grow up to the age of 18 without a father in their household. That's the truth. I know that somewhere around half of the marriages in America don't last and that the average duration of a marriage is seven years. It took me 20 years just to figure out what it means to be married. So if you get divorced at seven or two or whatever, you know, it's not going to be a good thing. And, and my goal here this morning is not to make anybody feel bad, but to let us understand something. There's a real world out there. And in the real world out there, what the world is telling us to do isn't working. It hasn't been working, and it's not working at an accelerated rate. It's faster and faster and faster that we're heading to a collision with something not good. And for 3,000 years, we've had a model for what it means to be a godly woman, a godly wife, a godly mother. And if you haven't been that so far, that's okay. Because our God is a God of second chances and tenth chances and two thousandth chances and however many chances you need. If you've been a godly woman or a godly wife and your husband left you, that's not on you, that's on him. If you have done everything that you can do and your children are not following in the ways of the Lord, that's not on you either, that's on them. But as women of God, as mothers, as wives... You have a very, very, very crucial role. And as you live it, the world changes one person at a time. It starts with you. Men, what we can do is we can encourage and honor women who are doing the right thing. We can help those who are mothers who have children that don't have a husband around. We can say that the way of the world hasn't worked. And so we can start to live the way that we know does. The Christian life, what? Hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult, left untried. So let's try it. Let's not just try it. Let's do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, at the outset of the worship gathering, I said we have all these kids here, and we do. And that's very different. And, and, you know, in a couple more hundred people, we'll be the size this church needs to be to be the size of a church in America that would mean we'd be reaching our part of the pie. And we're different here. Unapologetically so. If you say what I said in the public square in America today, people will laugh at you. People will spit at you. People will say, you know, that's old-fashioned. No, it's just true. 
And I'm so grateful that I had a godly mother who was swimming upstream in those days and a godly wife who's swimming upstream today. And so many of you that I've known so many years, some of you for 25 years I've known, and you've been seeking to do that. And men who have stood in the gap for families that the dad has left. And those of you who have given it a second try and are doing it now. Those of you who have, you know, thought you weren't, 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 weren't worth anything and you came to realize that there is a God who loves you and you get another chance and now you're doing it. You see, we could go out here and say it's hopeless. Hopeless is not a Christian word. It will never be hopeless so long as there's a God in the universe who loves us and whose son Jesus is reigning over us and he is and whose spirit is living in us. I want you to remember the last word of today's message is hope. The last word of today's message is life. The last word of today's message is truth and love because we serve a living God who has not abandoned us and that in all things, that God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If Jesus doesn't come back today and we get to wake up tomorrow, we have a way to live that's different. And as we live that way, the world may not agree. The world may not, you know, rise up and call us blessed. Maybe our children won't either. But one day we're going to stand in front of Jesus and he will say, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter the joy of your master's kingdom. And so whose model of manhood and womanhood do we want anyway in our life? I submit to you that Jesus' way is the only way. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you so much for the opportunity to laugh together and to be serious together, even cry together. God, I thank you that your word addresses every matter of life and that today as we celebrate Mother's Day in this great country in which we live, that you show us what it would be like, what it is like when women fear you and put you first in life. God, I pray today for every mother in this room, for every woman in this room, for every girl in this room, that you would bless them to be a blessing to others. I pray for every husband in this room, every dad in this room, every son in this room, that you would bless us, that we might be a blessing. God, I pray that in our lives we may glorify you and that we might give you praise by the way we live as well as by what we sing and pray. In Jesus' name, amen.